0: Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. We've been in this collection of messages called Make Room, and all of it really has been based out of, uh, really, Luke chapter 2, where it tells the narrative, that story about when Jesus was born, where there was no room for him uh, in the inn. And we just decided that this Christmas that we're not going to get all wrapped up in just the gifts and the food and all those things, but we want to make room for Jesus. We want to make space for for Jesus. And uh, so the last few weeks we've been talking about that. We talked about making room for the kingdom of God, making room for a miracle, making room for peace, which by the way, didn't Gabby Ferrer, didn't she do a great job speaking about making room for a miracle last week? It was so good. Look, now she's right over here. She's taking pictures. So she's, she can kind of do everything. So uh, thank you for doing what you do. But Matthew chapter two, I'm going to read this text to you. uh, And we're going to, we're going to begin to focus on making room for Jesus, what that looks like uh, in our life. Matthew chapter two, it says this, in verse number one, or verse number two, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed. King Herod was a very wicked king in Israel. It says he was very disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked them, where is the Messiah? The Messiah was the the, the prophecies about the Savior of the world that would one day come and that would redeem and liberate the people of God. He says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... Are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. We find out later that this was really just a scheme, a plot. It was a lie. He had no intentions to worship Jesus. Verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and, and stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest And gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. I want to speak to you for just a few moments today from just this simple subject here the miracle and the magi the miracle and the Magi. Magi is another name for wise men. You may see it in some of your translations. But before we jump into this, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And I pray that today as we lean into your word, that you would just speak to us just a few simple truths that we can, that we can grasp a hold of this Christmas season as we make room for Jesus, as we make room for the King and for the Savior of this world. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that there are no great preachers, only the great gospel of Jesus Christ. So we lean into your words. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, by a show of hands, how many of you in here, um, you, you enjoy decorating for Christmas by a show of hands? You like it, okay? It's pretty much most of the ladies, there's a couple of you guys out there. Most of us, most of us men are like, nah, that's not really my thing, you know. I wanna sit on the couch and watch the Niners. Like, that's what you wanna do, right? But, but, um, I, I, I don't really love Christmas decorating. Um, I love the result, the outcome. Like I, I I love like all the lights in the house and the Christmas tree and it smells so nice and, and all those. I, I love the outcome. I don't actually like participating in it. But there is one thing that I do like. I, I love it when Jennifer you know, we get into a few, uh, uh, a few uh, heated conversations as we're putting together the Christmas tree and uh, we may need a little marital counseling afterwards but um, we're not going to talk about that today. Anyway, confessions of a pastor. And we put up the Christmas tree and that's cool. That's great. All these things. But one of my favorite things is once she gets the nativity scene set up. Like I just like the nativity scene. It's the first thing when you walk into our house, it's like, boom, it's right there. I love the nativity scene. And we have kind of a modern cool one. It's kind of carved up. It looks really kind of trendy and cool. But I I like the traditional nativity scenes. Um, I I don't know if you've ever seen one of those before. They're going to put up on the screen. You probably have. Most of us have. But the, the traditional nativity scene, they're all pretty much the same, right? They have the same characters. You have... You have, obviously you have Jesus, right? It would not be a nativity scene without Jesus. Um, but Jesus is always right there in the center. Last year we talked about Jesus being the center of our lives. So you have Jesus, he's the, he's the central focus there. You also have his parents, Mary and, and Joseph there. A lot of times you'll have the shepherds that are there. Sometimes you'll have the angels that are there. They're kind of peering over Joseph's shoulder and they're, they're focusing in on Jesus. And then you'll have, you know, you'll have some sheep or, or maybe maybe even a cow, you know, uh, if you're vegan I don't know what you'd have there, but you know, and then, and then you have, then you have the Magi, you have these three wise men, which by the way, you know, that we don't really know that there were three. We just know there are three gifts. There could have been, you know, two guys. It could have been 10 guys. We don't really know. We know they were wise. We know they brought gifts. That's all we really know about them. But you'll see these different characters there in the nativity scene. And I, and I love it. And, and pretty much every nativity scene that I've ever seen has has the Magi or the wise men that are in it? I actually came across one just recently. Now you may think this is ridiculous, but I was—I I like to Google stuff. Like I'm just like anybody else here. you just like you just have some random thought. You're like I don't know. Let me Google it. And uh, <laughs> someone says something. You know, having a conversation and no one knows the answer to it. It's like let me Google it. It's just like it's what we like to do, right? Well, so I'm, I'm thinking about the nativity scene yesterday, and I Googled, um, you know scary nativity scenes or crazy nativity scenes. Nativity scenes made out of hot dogs. I, I mean, I, I like, I, I Googled everything you can imagine. Well, I came across, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. It's a hipster nativity scene. I can't make this up, people. I going to put it up on the screen there. I want you to just, just look at this. There's a cow that says, it's branded 100% like organic. Okay, number one. The sheep looks like most of the dogs that we have running around our city, right? It's fully clothed, like has more clothes than some people here in the city, right? Um, you, you have Mary and Joseph there. They're taking a selfie with Jesus. Uh, this is so sacrilegious. This, I didn't come up with this picture, people. But you, you got another guy over here. He's just like locked into his mobile device there, or his iPad, got his, his, his uh, earphones in. But I love the magi, the three wise men in this. These guys are on segues, and they have gifts, and they, they've they've written segways to come bring their gifts to Jesus. <laughs> this looks like San Francisco, doesn't it? This is like, this does not look like the South or a suburb. This looks like our city that we live in here, right? But I, but I love these three these three Magi, these three guys that come bringing gifts here. There's a lot of confusion about these, these wise men. Were there three, were there two, you know, uh, were they followers of God or not followers of God? There's a lot of confusion about them because there's not a lot of details that we have in the, in, in the text here or in the different scriptures that we read about them. But here are some of the things that scholars would tell us. As you begin to dig into uh, some of the history and some of the, uh, the Jewish history, and you begin to dig into some of the, uh, the biblical uh, scholars' writings about them. We know that they were priests from modern day Iran and Iraq. They These wise men, they were astrologers. Uh, think of sorcery and astrology, they were practically, they were pagan priests, which most scholars would would agree with this. They were pagan priests of a nation nation from the far, far east. Uh, They weren't necessarily worshipers of uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that scriptures talk about, but they were, it appears that there was some type of connection to spirituality or to something divine from their definition. But after Jesus was born, probably, now this is gonna mess with some of you. This is gonna totally mess. Mess up your Christmas like picture, okay? Most of you think that the wise men showed up like the night Jesus was born. Most scholars believe that they, they appeared uh, maybe about when Jesus was two years old. So they came later on in the story. That's what most scholars believe, which kind of messes up my picture, right? It's gonna change our nativity scene. Babe, we're gonna have to remove the magi from the nativity scene now. Um, after Jesus was born, he's about two years old probably. They see this phenomenon in the sky, like a supernova, and it guides them to where this king, this prophesied king would come. But here's what what we do know about them. We do know based on, on, on the way that scriptures are laid out, we know that these wise men, they came from probably around a thousand plus miles away to come and see Jesus. I mean, they came from far, far away to come to Jesus. And the thing that I love about that as I was praying this morning and last night was this, is I think that the first thing that this story teaches us from their perspective, you could preach the Christmas story from Mary's perspective or the angel's perspective or shepherd's perspective, all these different perspectives. But when I think of it through this grid and this filter of the Magi, the wise men, coming from a long ways away, far outside of this hometown Bethlehem, coming to meet Jesus, it tells me this first thing, Christmas reminds us that there is no one too far for God to reach. There is no one outside of the reach of God's grace and his love and his mercy. These are men that what we see are probably not followers of God, the one true God. These are men that they were educated and they had wealth and affluence and you know they had a lot of things going for them but they were far from Jesus geographically but I believe also spiritually. They were far from Jesus and yet they were not too far for Jesus. I think this is something that may seem so rudimentary and fundamental for some of you. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not close to Jesus. I'm not close to God. Someone promised me sugar cookies. That's why I'm here. You know, that could be you. That could be your story. Someone maybe convinced you to come, or maybe you got a little card, a little outreach card. those little green cards, invite cards that come here, wherever you fall on the spectrum, it's imperative that we understand this first point here, this, or this proposition that there's no one outside the reach of God. Here's why. Because, If you're not careful, you can begin to look at your own life, look at your own failures, your mistakes, your inadequacies, your deficiencies. You can begin to look at your own brokenness, the things that are in your life that maybe should disqualify you from divine love. And you could begin to think, well, I'm too far for God to reach. I'm too far for his. I'm too far gone in this area for God to truly love me. Now that's one one aspect of it. But the second thing is this, is if you are a Christian today, it's imperative that you understand this because if you and I don't believe that there is no one too far for God to reach, there is no one outside of the sphere of his grace that he can extend his hand towards them and pull them close to him. If we're not careful, we can begin to become religious and we begin to see people through that broken grid of, well, that person's too far gone for God to do something in their life. We'll begin to see the homeless brother or sister on the streets and think they're too far gone at this point. We'll begin to see people that on the outset maybe looks like their life is a little confused and messed up and think, well, they're too far gone for, for God to really want to do something in their life. Now, we would maybe never say it like that. But do you know that this has been the problem with religion for, for thousands of years? If you look at the narrative, even in Jesus' own story in his own ministry, he had about three and a half years of ministry. And watch this: over and over and over again, religious people would ch- they would persecute Jesus, they would they would they would mock Jesus, they would judge Jesus because of the type of people that Jesus always pursued and was going after. Think about Zacchaeus, this one dude. He was listen. He was the, the scriptures tell us that he was wealthy. He was a Jew and he worked for the Romans. He was he was short. There's all these little things. So watch this. So, 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 so tall people didn't like him because he was short. Jewish people didn't like him because he worked for the Romans. Romans didn't like him because he was Jewish. Poor people didn't like him because he was rich. Rich people didn't like him because he stole from them because he was a tax collector and he was stealing from them. This guy was one of the worst of the worst. He would be considered like, just like the scum of the earth. And yet in the, in the narrative in Luke chapter 19, Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus. If you look at the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus. The the law said that she should have been stoned. She should have been killed that day. And yet Jesus reaches down and pulls her up from the dust. Where was the man, by the way? Hello. Over and over again, you see in Jesus' ministry, religious people Looking down at other people thinking they're too far for God to reach them. That's what religion always does. Religion paints this picture that you've got to be morally elite or have everything buttoned up right. And you've got to be this good person for God to like you. And if God's going to ever reach out to those type of people, he's going to reach out in anger. He's going to reach out in wrath. But that's not a picture of the gospel. The gospel is this. Religion says it's man's attempts and efforts to reach out to God, but the gospel is God's efforts to reach out to man. That even in our brokenness and all of our dysfunction and all of our deficiencies and all of those things, God reaches out to us, not in wrath, not in anger, not in judgment, but in mercy and kindness and love and in grace. This is the gospel. This is the story of Christmas. It's the story of God reaching down out of heaven, out of eternity into the brokenness of humanity and placing His son Jesus. Why? So that you and I, we can have hope and we can receive the grace and the mercy of God. If we're not careful and we don't settle this in our heart, we can begin to look at people that maybe aren't like us and we can think they're not good enough for me and they're probably not good enough for God. That's what religion always does. May we always be a faith community that looks at every single person and says they are not beyond God's reach. Listen, you're here today, you're here today, and there may be something that, that has been a part of your life maybe currently or, or in your past that makes you feel like I'm too far beyond God's love now. And God, there's no way God can love me now. There's no way God would ever forgive me for this. Let me tell you, you're not outside the reach of your heavenly father. Because he loves you, because of his grace, because of his mercy, there is hope for you. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're a thousand miles away like the Magi. There's hope for you because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, as I think about that, I was reminded, I was telling our team earlier about, (laughs) there was a point in my life where I came out of drug addiction and a lot of brokenness and a lot of things when I was a young man, grew up in a home that was very broken. There was verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. And so I I just started trying to medicate my pain with medication and started trying to medicate my pain with, with alcohol and different things like that, abusing those things and, uh, and God reached out to me in that very jacked up state. You know, he knew the worst about me, but he believed the best in me. And he reached out and pulled me out of that lifestyle. And for the first few years, man, that's all I wanted to do is I wanted to reach people that maybe felt like they were too far for God. I wanted to reach people and love people and serve people and tell people, you're not forgotten by God. You're valuable by God. I want to do that. But you know what happened is, is that years into my spirituality, I began to, I began to think that I was Kind of had it together, pretty good guy. I'm no longer that old guy anymore, and I kind of I got my act together. Now I go to church and I, you know, give and I pray and I do all these things. And so I begin to get a little, a little religious and a little pious. I think there's a lot of people in our city today and in the Bay Area that the it's not that they don't like God, they just don't like Christians. And I became that Christian, that guy. I was sitting in Buffalo Wild Wings one night with some friends, the Christian chicken. The original Christian chicken. Now it's Chick-fil-A, whatever. But (laughs) Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm telling you, we're going to have honey barbecue in heaven. We're going to have it. But this was back in the day... And this is when you could still smoke in some restaurants and they would split Buffalo Wild Wings in half. There was a bar on one side where you could, you know, you could even smoke in there. And then there was the, I guess, the Christian side over here where, you know, whatever, we just sat around and ate chicken. Well, at this particular night, these two girls came to uh, the table where me and these other guys were sitting. And we were all Christians uh, sitting at this table. A couple of us were already in ministry. And these two girls came to the table. They were obviously, they were, they had you know, they were a little, they, they were a little, yeah, they were yes, they were sauced up. Okay, that's how we used to say it. <laughs> they came over and they, they, they this is so crazy. Th- these two girls, they start to kind of hit on us a little bit. And, You know, at first, you know, I think I, I think at this point I was already married to Jennifer. Maybe we were engaged. And I remember thinking, well, number one, I'm, all, I'm you know I'm off the market. That's what I thought. But number two, I thought this. I still got it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How many of you in there out here by a show of hands? Let's be honest. You may be married, or maybe may in a serious relationship, and, and if somebody hits on you a little bit, you do think, "I still got it." I mean, okay. Some of you don't know that joy yet, but listen. God, I pray for that revelation in Jesus' name. I'm kidding. That's a terrible prayer. What kind of prayer is that? Guard our marriages, Lord. Guard our marriages. But anyway, so so I remember thinking, like you know, whatever. Well, th- th- these girls, they were, they were, they really, you know, they were really intoxicated and they, they walked away and they said, Hey, if you want to, if you want to, you want to hang out, we'll be at the bar. So they walked away and I, I remember how I felt in that moment. I felt there was a lot of judgment. I remember, I remember, this is so sad. The first thought I thought was this, man, I hope that, I hope that none of my, my church friends see, see us talking to these girls and obviously they're a little, you know, whatever you can tell by the I hope that none of my church people see this, the, the, the pride, the religious pride that I had. I, now that I think back, it's so embarrassing. But I felt that in that moment. And, and all of a sudden, those girls come back to the table after I just got finished telling my friend, that said, man, maybe we should tell them about Jesus. And we start talking about that. Well, they come back to the table. And this girl, she starts kind of hitting on us a little bit. And she goes, hey, we're going to be over in the bar. And by the way, my name's Rebecca, like in the Bible. And walks <laughs> off. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like a setup. This is like a divine setup. Long story short, we, we kind of wrestled back and forth, debated who was going to you know, be the courageous Christian and go and tell these girls about God or whatever. And I walked over there, and I, I, I sat down by this girl. I started talking to her, and I, and, and I looked at her, and I said, and I just felt like this is what I was supposed to say to her. I wasn't supposed to tell her. She was, you know, you're a sinner, and you need a Savior. You need a Romans. Chapter 3 says this. Romans 8 says this. Blah, 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 you know, 45 spiritual laws. None of that. I just looked at her. I said, you know what? There's a man that wanted me to tell you something. He's here tonight. She looked at me, she kind of perked up. She's like, which one is it? <laughs> she's like, he's not that cute. Is it the other one? <laughs> I said, there's a man that wanted me to tell you something. He wanted me to tell you that, that he sees you, that he values you, that he loves you. This, at this point, she puts her cigarette out. She kind of pushes her beard to the side a little bit. And she's just in shock. And I said, he wanted me to tell you that that he knows the very worst things about you, but he still believes the best in you and that he's madly in love with you. This huge tear started streaming on her face and I said, and his name is Jesus. And I remember that night having this moment where we were able to pray with her and her friends and I got in my car and I said, Lord, I pray that I would never be religious like I was judging people ever again. Help me to always have eyes of grace Seeing beneath people's brokenness and pain, and that there is no one that is outside of your reach. I pray that that would be the type of church that we are. The second thing that I see in the story that's so beautiful is this right here. I love this. Why don't you write this down? This is a great little point. The enemy will always try and stop me from doing what God has called me to do. I put me there so you could personalize this. The enemy will always try to stop me from doing what God's called me to do. Now, watch this. Herod, King Herod was the king over Israel at this time. He's a wicked king. And now he hears that this new king has been born. The long-awaited Messiah for the Jewish people. He's disturbed, he's panicked, and now he's thinking this, I've got to stop this guy. I've got to stop this kid. He goes on to make a decree that every child under two years old would be murdered. He wanted to stop Jesus. Why? Because he thought... This guy, he's a threat to me. Do you know this? The enemy will always try to stop you from being who God's called you to be and from doing everything that God's called you to do. And he will do whatever it takes. It may be something that's sin or it may just be something that's good, that's a distraction. Have you know that sometimes the good things are a distraction from the God things? Sometimes it's this job over here that looks so good, that's actually a distraction from this other place where God wants you to be, where he wants to use you not just to make money, but to make a difference. Sometimes it's the good things and it's even the bad things that the enemy will use to try to keep us and hold us back from becoming all that God's called us to become and doing all that God's called us to do. King Herod, he is threatened. Do you know that there are are things... That, that have been said, or there are things that were said about Jesus prophetically that he would one day come and he would do all these different things. Herod knew these prophecies. And he thought, I know these prophecies and these promises about this king. And if there's a king that comes and does that, he's going to dismantle and deconstruct everything that I have built. He felt threatened. His kingdom was threatened. But he, here, here's, here's the other thing you need to understand is that there are prophecies About you. There are words that God has spoken over you about your destiny, about your potential, and you are a threat. You need to understand this. When the enemy thinks about you being close to Jesus and undiscovering freedom and your purpose in your life, you are a threat to his kingdom. You are a threat to the kingdom of this world when you understand that you're a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God with kingdom purposes, with with, with things like what we just did through our legacy offering to make a difference. Listen, that threatens the enemy of your life and of your soul. There is a great call and a great purpose on your life, and the enemy of your soul will do anything within his power to try to keep you from getting close to Jesus and from discovering what he's called you to do. Let me ask you this question, just a series of questions. What has the enemy done in your life? Think of the span of your life. What has the enemy done to try to keep you from fulfilling your purpose? For me, I was bound by a drug addiction. I overdosed. I was, very, I was an angry person that, that, that because my family was broken and I came from an abusive home, I became abusive. And the enemy tried to destroy not just my life, but my destiny because he knew, he knew that you would be in here today. The enemy will try to keep you from becoming all that God wants you to become and do all that God's called you to do because he knows the other people that are on the other side of you, the people that you have the potential to impact and influence for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this question. What did the enemy do to keep you from getting close to God this year? What was it this year? When you survey your life, what was it that maybe kept you from getting close to Jesus, closer to Jesus than you've ever been before? What was it this year that maybe kept you from reaching your potential this year? The truth is, is that we just, we deal with things in our life. We go through things in our life that can can hinder us from reaching our potential. That's just the truth. And, and just imagine not just your, your regular everyday potential, but your God-given potential to make a difference for the kingdom of God, to make a difference in this world, to make this world better and brighter for God's glory and for humanity's good. Think about, think about the things in our life that can so easily distract us and derail us from accomplishing, accomplishing those things. But what was it for you this year? Maybe they kept you from maybe being more committed to your relationship with Jesus. What was it that kept you from living generously towards the people around you this year? What was it that maybe kept you away from spiritual family this year? So thankful that you're here today. Maybe you haven't been here for four or five months, six months. Maybe you just had work or had different things. What was it that has held you back and kept you from being closer to Jesus and closer to spiritual family and closer to reaching your potential? What was it this year? Sometimes it's tragedy, disappointment, divorce, maybe a death in your family. There are different things that a lot of times can pull us away and hinder us from reaching our potential and getting closer to Jesus. But God wants to redeem all of those things. And the story of Christmas is this, is that it doesn't matter what this past year has been like or the the history of your life has been like. Today, Today, you can just say, I'm gonna take a step closer to Jesus. I'm gonna make a decision today to pursue all that God's called me to pursue let me ask you this last question. What's currently right now in your life, what's currently in your life that's trying to keep you from getting closer to Jesus? What would that be? It was a thousand miles that separated the wise men from Jesus. What's separating you? What What is creating distance from your relationship with your heavenly father? Because God wants to speak to that area of your life, not in condemnation, not in guilt, not, he doesn't want you to leave in a, in a place of heaviness. Like I'm not as good as, I th- I'm not as far as I thought I'd be. Not that he just wants to say, Hey, let's just remove that and let's take a step closer. See, you know what God wants more than anything in your life. He doesn't want you to have just some nice job, make a bunch of money and have some nice house. Although those things would be fantastic. God wants to bless you. John 10, Tim, we hear it all the time, the abundant life more and better. He wants to bless you. Awesome. But what he wants more than your abundance is your obedience, What he wants more than you and I being affluent and successful, he wants us to be faithful and to be devoted and to be in proximity, close to him. He wants you to be more than to be close to uh, reaching your potential. He wants you to be close to just reaching his heart and connecting with him. Jesus wants to have a personal, real, not a religious, not a stale, dead relationship, but a real relationship, a vibrant relationship with him. Let me give you this last little point right here and um, the, the worship team can come up. I think probably my favorite part about this story is this, is that these wise men are following this star and it stops over Bethlehem and they see Herod and Herod tells them, go and find out where this king is and then come back to me. And so they go to where the star stops And they go to this house, this home, maybe it was some theologians say it could have been in a cave behind a home. And they go to this place and they walk in and there's Jesus right at the center. And they come in and and the scriptures tell us that when they see him, they bow down on their knees and they just begin to worship Jesus. And then they begin to open up their hearts and take out these these, these, these treasures and they, they begin to open their heart and open the treasure and they begin to give frankincense and myrrh and gold, these things, these are gifts for a king. They begin to give these things and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Now the thought I had was this, is that these guys, something happened, something shifted that they were just following a star and following a prophecy that the king, the Messiah would be born. But it was in this moment where they encountered Jesus. They're in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the divine. It's God wrapped in flesh. It's the incarnate God. And there's something that was so powerful about that moment that these wise men, they fall down on their knees and they just begin to do what we were doing earlier, lifting up their hands, they begin to sing, they begin to worship Jesus and they begin to give their gifts. I don't know, I'm just using my imagination here. I wonder if where that star stopped, if there were a series of houses, and I wonder if they went from house to house looking for this, this kid. I don't know, just go with me in your imaginations. Imagine them just going to this first house, knocking on the door like, hey, is the king born? Is there a messiah, is he here? They're like, well, we got these three kids, and this one kid, he's, I mean, we promise you, he's not God. <laughs> God. Uh, this one over here, I mean, she, she can't even clean her room. Uh, next house, next house. But there was something, and we don't know that, but there was something about this place. When they walked in and they they encountered the presence of Jesus. And here's what happened: they bow down and surrender to the king. This, that was a declaration. You understand? You only bow to royalty. They're bowing down declaring, you are the king. Herod is not the king. You are the king. You're the king of Israel. You're the shepherd king. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. He kneel, they kneel down. They begin to worship him. And here's what the scriptures tell us. They get up. And here's how we know they had a revelation. They said, we're not going to go back the way that we came because we know that Herod's going to try to kill this baby. We're going a different way. Here's the proposition for you. That when you encounter Jesus like they did, you'll return home a different way than you came. Do you know what? As a, as a church, you know, why we people ask all the time, Man, you guys are really exuberant and passion filled in your worship. You know why? Because we're chasing after the presence of Jesus, because it's not a program or an organization or an institution or some preacher or some good none of those things can change us but jesus can change our lives he set me free from addiction and brokenness and insecurity suicidal thoughts my life was a mess and jesus when i placed my life i didn't have gifts to give him all i had was my brokenness and i gave it to him my life as a gift and it was the most lopsided exchange he gave me peace where there was torment in my mind i gave him addiction he gave me freedom I was lost. He found me in that moment. This is the exchange. In 2000, I was in my mom's apartment and I just got down on my knees, just like these Magi. I got down on my knees and I encountered the grace of God through the person Jesus. And I got down on my knees and I just said, God, I have nothing to give you other than brokenness. I have nothing to contribute to this relationship other than sin. It was in that moment that I just experienced the love of God in such a way that God was like, just give me everything that you have. Give me your sin, give me your shortcomings, give me your failure, give give it all to me because I wanna give you peace. I wanna give you joy. I wanna give you purpose. And it was the most lopsided, grace-filled, scandalous exchange in the year 2000 when I did that. And I wonder today, if you're here and you need to make that exchange, I hope that you came here and you've experienced more than church, more than religion, more than just a good talk, more than just smiles and familiar strangers, but that you have come here and you've encountered the presence of Jesus. Because when you do, you can go home different from the way you came. Maybe you came here beat down today. My prayer is that because of Jesus, you'll leave built up. Maybe you came here confused today. You have questions and you have, my prayer is that you'll leave different. You'll leave with peace. Maybe you came here sick in your body. We believe that Jesus, he is the healer. He's a great physician, scripture teaches us, that you'll leave healed. Physically, maybe emotionally, you just came in here and you're like, my emotions are so messed up right now. My prayer is that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the great counselor, that he make an exchange with you today. You can do do that by just bowing your heart to Jesus and giving Him your life. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.